Thanks for listening to the New Life Church Searcy podcast. If you'd like to get connected to what God is doing at the Searcy campus, you can text the word Searcy to 88000. There you can give online, get connected to a life group, find your place in a serve team, and so much more. You can also find today's message notes in the YouVersion Bible app. Just tap the link in the episode description to follow along during the sermon and save notes directly to your phone. Now prepare your hearts to hear a great word from God today. And as we go through this today, I want you to think about your personal lives. I want you to look at your faith journey, and I don't necessarily want you to focus on your past, but on, on your present, because I think this message is, is, is really for, uh, or has, has some timeliness to it. And so I want you to consider that as we go through that, regardless of where you find yourself this morning, I believe that our God is able to make a turnaround. Can I get an amen? So we're going to look today at the story of Jonah, okay? And Jonah is a very old, old story. It is, um, uh, you, you could even say it was, it was ancient. Even in those times when they spoke of it, they would have called it ancient. It's so old that uh, it was actually communicated verbally for centuries before it was ever written down and then protected over the years to where it now finds itself in the Bible. Uh, so it was just a verbal story. It was one told to, to kids and gatherings and at family meetings, and they would just talk about the principles, these life-changing principles of, of, of this story. And so many critics, and I, I'm, I'm, I just want to tee, tee this up for us, but many critics frequently use the story of Jonah to try and discredit the Bible. And what we have to realize is that the Bible is not a book, it's a collection of books. And so you can't take the way one thing is written and say, well, this proves or affirms that the Bible is, is written fig- figuratively and not meant for a literal sense. Because there's, it's full of fables and poetry and, and history. And um, the Gospels, of course, are a narrative story of Jesus. And so it's got all kinds of forms in it. But what, what critics will do is look at the story of Jonah and say, well, that's, that's not a history story. And so since it's not written historically, then that just affirms that the whole Bible is not written historically. And um, I would say myself that... If, if I took it a step further, I would say that uh, the story of Jonah is written in the form of a parable. It has the feeling of a fable. It has something of, of what Jesus would start preaching on the side of, of a hill with. And, um, but I would go even a step further and say that it has satire in it. Now, you guys know, um, I'm not going to pretend that, that, that you're righteous, so you know by watching SNL what satire is. And so um, when you watch something like that or, or a comedian, you realize there's an exaggeration of a character or the experiences of that character to the point that you find it funny. It's like something is so exaggerated that you have to laugh at it because you imagine what that would look like in real life, and so it has satire with it. Well, Jonah and the characters of this story are almost... Um, filled with satire. You look at all the things going on 
And the story's huge. We're not going to be able to read all of it. Uh, we're going to stick to the classic uh, VeggieTales part of it. Um, but the uh, story is so long and spread out, and there's so many. It's, it's almost like um, many, many, many chapters of, of the same narrative taking place. But the reason it feels uh, like satire to us is because it looks to be so exaggerated that we can hardly believe it ever happened. And we've seen nothing like it. Now, we've seen a shark eat someone. Or, you know, so we, we know there are creatures in the sea who <laughs> seem to have more dominion than we do. Um, but we've never seen, like, you know, a fish swallow a person and they stay in that person for three days. But, you know, Disney took it and, you know, made him light a candle and the well let him go. And he was a real boy for the rest of his life. But um, we look at this story, we just go, I don't know. I'm just so far removed from that. And it's got so much satire and fable to it that I don't know that I can really take that on. But let me just... Um, give an explanation. How many of you have ever heard the statement, slow and steady wins the race? You ever heard that? Okay. Now, how many of you believe that statement to be true? Okay. You're a little, you're a little bit nervous, but most of you, because you've invested or you've stayed with a career for three decades and you think, you know, this has got me somewhere. I've been promoted along the way. I've had uh, compounding interest. I've seen slow and steady uh, work out to my advantage. But let me ask you one, one more question. How many of you believe that a real race took place between a tortoise and a rabbit? None of you, okay? So the point here is this, a non-historical story written in satire, but the principle is indeed true, much like the parables of Jesus. Now, I have to pause for all of us in, in the room who are purists, including myself when it comes to the word of God. This sounds like I'm making a case to say this was a fable, but I'm not. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying this story is not true. What I'm actually saying and why I've set it up this way over the past three to four minutes is because I believe that the story is beyond true. I believe it's got a thread of miraculous in it. I believe that the reason it feels like a fable and satire is because we've never seen anything like it in modern day and even if you heard it then, you would go, I've never even heard of, of something like this unfolding. It was a miraculous story of a turnaround. And so I would say that I 100% believe in the life of Jonah, in the city of Nineveh, in a boat on its way to Tarshish, and a very large swimming animal who ate him and kept him alive in his stomach for three days. Now, you got to make, make your own call, but we're going to hop into this in Jonah chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 3 here. This is what it says. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. That means he heard it. It was from God. It wasn't bad pizza. It wasn't a passion. It wasn't a hobby. It wasn't something that he was self-called to. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach, watch this, 
against it. Because its wickedness has come up before me. And unfortunately, this is Jonah's response in verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord. And he headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Jonah is on the run. Many of us have been in this place. Man, we have prayed a prayer or we've seen something unfold or someone's spoken to our lives or you feel it in a church service. You feel the, the Holy Spirit telling you to do something or leading your thoughts to think a certain way. And somewhere in that you go, uh-uh, that's not, not for me. And you start to run. I mean, you tuck tail. You put your running shoes on and you, I'm, I'm talking like Chris Rock from Will Smith kind of running. Okay, I'm talking like how Disney ran from Johnny Depp kind of running okay you are on the run to get away from what God had said to you now here's why Jonah is on the run God asked him to go to Nineveh and Nineveh at this time was Israel's biggest enemy they were hated and more than that they they were feared and here's why Nineveh was the capital city of the Syrian Empire. And the Assyrians would attack, and they were brutal. They were like the Roman Empire in that they were creative with how torturous they were. They would bury people up to their heads in sand and then run chariots across them to kill them. Sometimes they would declare war on a city and when the Ninevites would show up, the entire city had committed suicide to escape the torture of the Ninevites. They were feared, but more than that, they were hated. And when I say they were hated, it's an understatement. Jonah felt about Nineveh the way we feel about Alabama football, okay? It's bad, okay? They're burning things in the streets, flipping cars over. So we must have a little mercy on Jonah when he has a thought, I don't want to go. All right? I want to pause for a second. I want to ask you, has there been a time in your life when you've said this either subtly to God or with great angst? I don't want to do that. I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do it. And maybe it's even like something that would be natural, a natural progression in your Christianity. Maybe you gave your heart to God. You said, I want to start this journey with you. I want to follow. But you reached a certain point and God said, I want this from your life. I want you to give it to me. I want you to leave it behind. And you said, mm -mm, I, I can't. This has been part of my life for a long time. This is who I am. And I can't give you that. It's like when Jesus and the rich man were talking, he said, fine, take everything you have, give it to the poor and follow me. And he said, I don't think this is for me. That's the Jonah in all of us. That there is something that the Lord wants from you or has asked from you and you have refused to turn it over. You may have refused with a good attitude, but you said, I'm not going to do it. I can't do it. I, I can't stop this part of my life. And I think that 
we got to have a little bit of mercy because the Ninevites may have, this is assuming a big assumption, but maybe they had even killed one of Jonah's relatives or a friend. Maybe one of his friends had been buried up to his head in sand and run over with a chariot. So let me start with this. God always speaks to your potential. He always speaks to something that is potent in your life, even if it's in the future. Even if you got to walk it out, he can call you now, ask you to trust him with it, and over time you're walking into potential. You're growing. You're maturing in, in faith and in trust. And he's leading you towards something that is great for your life, a bigger calling, something that at the point he mentioned it to you, you think is impossible for you to knock out. But he's going to lead you through it. He's going to guide you through it. He's going to grow you through it. And so I'm convinced that God chooses to see us at our best. And this is something that we, that we really struggle with because we see ourselves from the lens of our worst. What we did that we shouldn't have done. What we thought that, we should, that we'd love to take back. Things we said that, man, we regret. Maybe you look back on your college years or your 20s and you look at one vital decision that you made that started an entire trajectory for you and you wish if there was a time machine, you would go back and you would rework that whole little scenario so that it would change everything in your life. And as an adult, you look back on that and you say, man, it's that one thing in my life I wish I could undo. We look at ourselves through that. Look what I did Look at the issue. Look at the problem. I'm not surprised that these things are happening in my life because look at, at, at me. Well, Jonah could not get past what he saw or what he had heard about Nineveh. But guess what? God doesn't see the world and he doesn't see you the way that you see the world or the way that you see you. And have you ever heard God speak to you and you think to yourself, I hear you, I know it, but I don't want to do it. I think sometimes maybe it's because someone has wronged us. They've hurt us. They've lied to us. We've been deceived. God's word comes to you and says, I want you to forgive them because I have forgiven you. And you balk at that. You said they don't deserve it. I don't feel like forgiving them. You forgive them. You're good at it. I'm not good at it. You have this argument, this dichotomy with God. It needs to be something that you do because I can't do it. I can't turn that part of my life loose. I can't imagine what my life would be free of that. Bitterness. I've been carrying it for so long, I can't imagine how much more energy or mental real estate I would get back. I would feel like a completely different person. I might as well just hold on to that and live with it and keep building fences around that. And God is saying, I want you to let it go. That's the word of the Lord for you. You say, I'm not going to do it. I can't do it. Maybe you're dating someone. You think they look cute, they got a good job, they make you laugh. But you know in your heart of hearts that they're not the one for you. And it's not just your mind, it's the Spirit of the Lord telling you, hey, I'm here to protect you. 
And you say back to God, God, don't I deserve somebody who smells good? I don't like what you're saying, Lord. They're so cute. This is the Jonah in all of us. Truth is, whenever God speaks to us and we don't want to do what he says, we can always, hear me, we can always find a ship sailing in the other direction. When God tells you something, when he asks you for something, you can always find a way to go another direction. And I've told you this before, but we are the only, as far as we know, we're the only creation, part of creation, that can have a conversation with itself and talk itself into something or out of something. That we, we can justify it. We can have a whole thought process where we say, you know what, these are the reasons why I should run from this. These are the reasons why I should not go to Nineveh, why I should go to Tarshish. And I know that, and before you know it, you're, you're just talking to yourself. And sometimes you have conversation out loud. I don't know if you've ever, you know, this has been before cell phones, because now we don't think it odd at all when people are talking in their car alone. But you used to drive down the street and somebody would be in the car and they'd be just talking to themselves. You'd be like, man, that guy's having a bad day. Watch what happens here. But Jonah, verse 3 again, chapter 1. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish, and he went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. Watch this. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, here's, here's a, big, a big principle here I want to bring out, or a big truth. Jonah wanted to be outside of the will of God so bad he paid to do it. He was willing to pay. To say, get me out of this. He paid the fare. Can you imagine? If you could just pull your wallet out and say, God, listen, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to do that, but I got a hundred bucks in my pocket if you'll change your mind. Or God, if, if you're not going to do something different, listen, I'm, I'm going to go on vacation. I'm going to go the other direction. And I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to get out a credit card. I'm going to get into the savings. I'm going to cash out a part of my 401. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get this thing moving in a direction that has nothing to do with what I think or what I know you want for my life. I'm going to pay the fare. Now, don't you think about that because it seems, again, satire that someone would pay to be outside of the will of God. But what you and I both know is he paid a lot more than money to be outside of the will of God. And it, it, it begs the question from all of us, is have we ever done it, or are there some of you in the room right now who are on the run who refuse to give up a part of your life and you're willing to pay whatever. You'll pay your reputation. You'll skip a city. You'll get out of something. You'll resign. You'll do whatever it takes to run and get away from the pressure and the tension on your life that's coming to you spiritually. We used to 
preach a lot, and we, we would use this word and say, say this word often. It was conviction. So that's the, the Holy Spirit is convicting you. And we would always say, conviction good, condemnation bad. Like convictions from the Spirit, condemnations from your own thoughts. And so there was something sweet about being convicted. It meant that the Lord loved you. It meant that he was chasing you. It meant he was coming after you and saying, I still want you to do this for me. You're still a person. I still believe that you can change this. I still believe that you can, you can forgive this person. I still believe that you can be better at that. Come on, give me your whole heart. He paid the fare, and he sailed for Tarshish. Now, why Tarshish? Well, Tarshish was 2,500 miles away from Nineveh. It's a pretty good stint. That's the other way, right? That's not next door. That's not close to it. That's not, oops, sorry, God, I took a left when I should have taken a right. This is purposeful running, other direction. One commentary said that it would have taken a full year to sail 2,500 miles given the technology that they had in, in that day. That's, that's a lot of running. But again, it makes me ask, I was looking at, at, at my own life. Have I ever dedicated a year of my life to running from the Lord? Have I ever told the Lord no for a whole year? I believe I have. If not, it's been close. No, 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 no. I can go on and do some of these other things, but no, when it comes to that one thing, no, no, no. God, I, I, I want to be part, but I don't, I don't really know that I want to be all into that. Like, like, what's the least amount that I got to do and still get to heaven? You know what I mean? What's the least that I can do? What's the least in my heart that I can give you and still make it in the end? I don't care about finishing the race first, right? I, I, just, I just need to cross the line. I don't care if the ribbon's still there. I don't care if people are still there clapping. I, I just, I just want to cross it, you know what I mean? So we all know what this is like. We've all been in a place where we're running from God, from conviction, from a problem, from the past, from a person. I'm running. I got my tennis shoes on, and I'm on the go. And it's exhausting. Running from God is so tiresome than just doing what he's asked. And maybe... You're here today and running feels strong to you. And you say, well, I'm not on the run. And maybe you're not. Maybe you're just drifting. I've told you this before. It, it cracks me up every single time. But we, we go to Florida every single summer to the same beach, to the same spot, eat at the same places. Because we're adventurous. <laughs> and it's funny because the, the girls like to get on inner tubes or some kind of floaty thing. It's a big swan or this 
you know, whatever it is that they get that for that year. And they'll walk straight out in the ocean, and they'll get on it, and I'll just watch them. You know how this works. It didn't take long. They're half a mile down the beach. That's not the funny part. The funny part's when they're ready to get out. Because then they go to looking. Like, what? Now, when I got in, I got in straight with our umbrella, and you just watch them. And they're just looking around, like, trying to find me. And it shouldn't be hard. Look for the whitest person on the beach, the one that's reflecting the sun. And just follow, just come to the North Star. Just follow it. And they just drifted, right? Like, like you get in, the expectation is that when you get out, you'll be right in the same spot, but you're not. You drift. And that happens to a lot of us, especially in the modern church. We get in it. It's pro, a, a, a program. You, you get into this rut of just going and checking the boxes, doing all the things and leaving, and then your week is just as compartmentalized. You do that over and over and over, 52 times a year, and you drift. Slowly but surely, the navigation of your life gets a little bit, a little bit further. It's like you're really in love with God. Your prayer life is consistent. You start justifying for other things. You have conflicts with your schedule. You start missing out on biblical community. And you say, I'm good, I'm good. But after three months, you feel some loneliness creep in. And after a year, you look around and you go, where are my people? Like, how did I get this far from God? It's not that you were running as much as you were drifting again. It's the Jonah in all of us. And so Jonah 1, 4, he says, The Lord sent a great wind, and such a violent storm arose that the ship just about broke up, and all the sailors were afraid, and they all began to pray to their own God, and they threw the cargo over to lighten up the ship. And that's when they start looking around to figure out what is going on. And they ask Jonah, What is going on with you? And he says in verse 9, he comes out with it. He says, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea, who made the land. And they said, what in the world have you done? What have you done to offend God? And I wish I had time to break that down, but I don't. So let me talk out the second point today. When you run... You unintentionally hurt other people. Dads, listen, when you run from God in your life, you hurt your family. You don't mean to do it, but you do it. You stop leading them, they don't have as much clarity. People don't like talking about this these days, but there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a biblical authority of a dad being in a home and praying over his people. And when you, when you forfeit that, you hurt the family unit, and you don't even realize it. You hurt others. You're not your best when you're not with God. Hear me. You are not your best when you are not 
in the middle of the will of God. Jonah knows this storm is his fault. And some of us in this room this morning, you recognize you are in a battle right now. And you think, what was I doing? I thought it was just me, my own private running, but it is going to hurt someone else. You hurt the people who are in the ship with you. And people have to start giving up things to compensate for the storm in your own life. You say, man, is, God is angry, isn't he? No, he's coming after you. A lot of times people, they, they miscalculate. Uh, this story is to say, man, God is angry. This just proves all of the, all of the mythology that kind of follows this day and time. God's angry. He's throwing down storms. He's interrupting. He's creating fish that are big enough to swallow people. I mean, he's just mad. No, he's coming for you. That's the story of Jonah, that he can find you 2,500 miles away from his perfect will. To relate this to a different story, he went and found the prodigal right, right in the middle of the pigsty. He thought you could run away, but you can't. He loves you enough to come after you, to put you back on track. Now check out verse 12. He says, pick me up, throw me into the sea. I think that's a little dramatic because he could have just jumped over. It will become calm. I know this is my fault, that this storm has come upon you, and there is something powerful and spiritual about this moment when you realize you are the problem. Isn't that a terrible epiphany? When you realize, mm, I think this is me. I think this is me. Let me talk to all you married people. You've been in an argument and you want to win it so stinking bad. But you realize about in the middle of that, you go, mm, gosh, she is so right. How am I going to get out of this? Because I am in full jerk mode right now. And I don't want to relent. It's a nauseous feeling realizing that you're the problem. And man, in our culture today, haven't we perfected the blame game? Well, it's not me. It's them. They're the ones and it comes all the way down. We start at the president and we start with politics. Well, it's that group. They're the ones. But then, I mean, it can come on down, and man, it can, it can be about our parents. It can be about friends in the seventh grade. It can be about a post on Facebook. We can, and, and suddenly you got more fingers pointing out there in so many directions, you got to start over again. It is a nauseous feeling to go, this is about me. It's me. I did it. I brought the storm. I'm the one making these decisions that are resulting in raindrops and, and thunderclaps and lightning bolts. I'm the one 
doing this. I'm the one sabotaging this marriage. I'm the one sabotaging our job. I'm the one not leading us back to the church. It's me. And we all know this part in verse 15 or chapter, chapter 1 verse 15. The Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Talk about getting your attention. Man, I wish I could spend some time there, but I can't. It would have taken me all of ten minutes. I would have said, let's go to Nineveh. It took this brother three days. He did not want to go. I bet day one he sat there on the tongue of that fish with his arms crossed Indian style, seaweed wrapped around him, just sitting there. Now you going. I'm not going to do it. Might as well digest me. I'm ready for the other end, fish. Do it. By day three, he was ready. Some of you may be facing your worst nightmare. I mean, you feel like you are in the fish. The pressure's on. Life doesn't feel good. Things aren't in sync. Things aren't moving. Things aren't progressing. You see things falling apart in your life. You see people moving out of your life that you want to stay in. You, you feel tensions rising. You feel irritated at things. You feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit about an area of your life. And, and you get it. You feel like, man, life just does not feel right right now. Maybe you think you're alone. Maybe you feel like your options are limited. But before you get way off base in your theology, let me tell you and remind you of one verse, Romans 8, 28. This is what he says. This is Paul. He says, and we know. Everybody say no. no. Come on, say no. No. In all things, good or bad, good or bad, God works for the good of those who love him. In all things. In all things. You can be in the middle of it right now, but listen, in all things, God's trying to work this out for your good. He's trying to spin it. He's trying to get you to turn around. He's trying to get you to make a U-turn. He's trying to get your attention. He's trying to get you to sit for a minute. He's trying to get you to say yes. He's trying to get you to trust him. He's trying to give you, get, get you to give up that bitterness. He's trying to let you to, to make, make, make you let go of something. Just open your hands, open your heart. Get out of the fish you're in. Do you see the there's, there's a pattern? In this story that's pretty consistent, it says that the Lord sent a storm, he sent a fish, but before that he sent a guy to a city. And when God does this, understand something, it's because he loves you, it's because he has something specific for your life, and he's got some place or someone for you to impact, and his will for your life is to get into the river of his will and just ride the current. Let me end with this because I'm out of time. Here's the big bite from this, this message. God wasn't just sending Jonah to fix Nineveh. He was using Nineveh to fix Jonah. And you may think God is only speaking to you to get you to fix something. But what if he's using that something to change you? And so you're here this morning, 
And maybe it's a, it's a stormy boat ride right now. I'm not here to prophesy gloom and doom. I'm not here to try to scare you. It does make me wonder if I'm in it and I know it's me and I don't change my course, does that mean the fish is the next phase? Because some of you are in this room today and all you need to do is say yes. Yes. I was 16 years old when the Lord called me in the ministry and I was like, uh-uh. I was like Gideon. I was like, I'm. My dad's not a preacher. Grandpa's not a preacher. And I'm the weakest guy in this clan. <laughs> scary, scary moment. Talked to my dad. He was real scared too. Why do you think you're called into the ministry? I don't know. I don't know. I just do. Wasn't good enough for him. We need to pray about this because this is serious. It took me a long time to just say yes. But when I did, it was like light. Just kind of went out. You know, it wasn't, wasn't like years ahead, but it was enough to step into. And some of you are in this room, you need to turn around. Kevin, I'm 50 now. Well, you're not dead. Turn around. I believe everything that's in me. There's some marriages in this room that are in trouble. But if you'll turn around, if you'll make a U-turn, you'll see the favor of the Lord come into your house, change attitudes, and hearts and perceptions. He'll bring forgiveness if you turn around. So you know where you're at. And I think some of you know the problem is you. And that conviction you feel, you need to turn around and wrap your arms around it and embrace it so Lord I want this I want this in my life if you've got to put me back on the anvil do it put me back into your perfect will alright I want you to bow your heads for just a minute in this place out of reverence